Welcome to Westport Road Baptist Church. We're so glad you've decided to join us for today's message. Westport Road Baptist Church is located at the corner of Hurstbourne Lane and Westport Road in Louisville, Kentucky. If you have a Bible, please have it handy and prepare your heart and mind as our pastor, Chip Pendleton, brings us the Word of God. Good morning. Good to see everybody this morning. Welcome to everyone watching online and on Spectrum Cable. We're certainly glad to have you with us uh, this morning. We're continuing our sermon series, Living the Life. And what we've seen so far, uh, Paul says everything about living your Christian life to the highest is based upon love, your love for God, your love for other people. He then went on and he talked about, well, how do you live when things aren't going well and when you have problems? And for the next two weeks, to conclude this series, we're going to be looking at, okay, how do you get along with other people? How do you get along with other people? Because relationships are going to be one of the number one things that cause us conflict, one of the number one things that build us up and tear us down. So we're going to look at how do you get along with other people, and then to close next week, how do you get along with difficult people, which is sometimes a little bit different. So we're going to be over in Romans chapter 12. In Romans chapter 12, Paul basically has a bucket list of over 20 things that we should be doing to live our best life. We're going to look at several of those today that have to do with uh, how do you get along with others. So let's just read that. It's verses 15 and 16 of Romans chapter 12. Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn, live in harmony with one another, do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position and do not be conceited. Let's have a prayer. Father, thank you for your word. And as we look into it now, open our hearts and minds and help us to learn from it and how we should live our life because of it. And in Jesus' name we pray it. Amen. Will anybody here ever read Dale Carnegie's book, How to Win Friends and Influence People? It's an old one. Okay, yeah, a few of you have. You read the, the updated revision, right? Not the original, is that? Is that okay, okay, good, good, good. Uh, well, back in, in the turn of the century, in the 1900s, early 1900s, Dale Carnegie was a salesman who went on to become a business lecturer, and he wrote a book called How to Win Friends and Influence People, and it basically came from his business lectures that he was giving at that particular time. And basically, his philosophy was this. If you're going to get along with other people, if you're going to influence other people, the first thing you have to do is stop thinking about yourself all the time and start thinking about others. Because if everything you do is about you, if they're talking and you're just waiting to interject, you're never going to be able to really win friends or influence people. Here's a couple of Dale Carnegie quotes that kind of show you that. Talk to someone about themselves and they'll listen for hours. You know, that's how it is. You know, uh, show that you care about them, what's going on in their life. People will listen. And then one of my favorite Dale Carnegie quotes right here, any fool can criticize, condemn, and complain, and most fools do. And uh, so, uh, you know, that kind of says, you know, if you're going to be influencing others, that can't be your attitude. Well, today we're going to look into Romans chapter 12, verses 15 and 16, and we're going to see Paul's Del Carnegie suggestions, Paul's uh, suggestions on how to win friends and influence people. And so let's get right into it over in Romans chapter 12, verse 15. And the first thing we see is this. If we're going to really win friends and influence people, one of the first things we have to do is we have to be concerned and involved in other people's lives. You have to be concerned and involved in other people's lives. Look at verse 15. It says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. 
So basically what Paul's saying here, his advice, is that you have to know what's going on in someone's life, and you have to be willing to live that life with them. So if they're rejoicing, if they've just had a new baby, if they've got a job promotion, if their child has just got their driver's license, you rejoice with them because of what's going on in their life. Likewise, if they're mourning, you mourn with them. If they've lost their job, if they had their baby but it's ugly, uh, if their teenager wrecks their car, then what you need to do is you need to mourn with them. And so it's being involved in all of their life and everything that's going on in their life. Now, to do this, you have to be sensitive, and you have to actually know two things. First, you've got to know what's going on in their life in the first place. If you're going to be really active or involved or caring, you've got to know what's going on in somebody's life. Now, sometimes at work, that may mean just noticing uh, someone who seems to be having a bad day. Maybe it's actually listening to your friends instead of just telling them what you think about the world and everything going on. But it's not hard to figure out what's going on in somebody's life. A while back, Dawn and I were at a restaurant, and our server came by, and I just asked her, I said, hey, how's your day going? And she literally pulled the chair, sat down, and started telling us how her day was going. You know, uh, and it hadn't been going very well, as you probably could imagine right there. So, you know, but you've got to be concerned enough to notice what's going on. The second thing you have to do if you're going to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn is that then you have to actually do something to be involved. It's one thing to know it. Well, they're having a bad day, or, or they've just lost a loved one, or, or uh, they've just lost their job, and I need to be doing something to help out in this situation. It's not enough to know. You have to actually do something about it. Now, the problem we have with that is that we're very self-centered people. That's the, the, the root of sin is self-centeredness. The root of sin is wanting things our way instead of God's way. The root of sin is caring about ourselves and not about anything else. And so even when it comes to rejoicing with those who rejoice, mourning with those who mourn, our problem is too many times all we're looking at is ourselves. And so we have to begin to take our minds off of ourselves to look at other people to think about what they're going through, the time that they're having, whether it's good or bad, rejoice when they're rejoicing, mourn when they mourn. Uh, I can't tell you the number of times that people have come and talked to me in very difficult times in their life, and they said, you know, I've got all these friends that I thought were going to be there and around and encourage me, and all my friends seem to have disappeared as soon as I started having problems. You know, when everything was great, we'd go out to lunch every week, but as soon as problems hit, never heard from them, never saw them again. And so to be a real friend, you have to know and you have to be involved. It's kind of a neat story that was in the paper this week. You may have seen it. A police officer in South Dakota, Sam Burr, uh, was involved in an arrest uh, of a driver uh, who had several outstanding warrants. They, they found the car on the road with the license. They pulled him over. Uh, they arrested the driver. And the driver happened at that particular moment to be working DoorDash and delivering uh, dinner to somebody. It was Arby's. And so uh, 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 Sam's partner was taking the guy into the police station after they had arrested him. Sam saw the Arby's bag there. He saw the address, and he thought, someone isn't getting their supper because this guy's been arrested. So Sam Burr, while on duty, delivered the DoorDash uh, to that lady. Here's a picture of him doing that. She's amazed as he shows up uh, with the Arby's there. She's able to get her, her supper. And uh, I don't know how many fries he ate on the way, but I bet at least one uh, because they were smelling in his car and everything. But still, to do that, you have to do something. To do that, you have to say, hey, wait, it's not just about me arresting somebody with outstanding warrants. 
there's somebody that's missing their supper because this guy's driving DoorDash and there's an Arby's bag. You got to know what's going on. And then second, you got to do something about it. Well, I'm going to deliver the Arby's uh, to that particular lady. That's what it means to rejoice with those who rejoice and to mourn with those who mourn. So that's the first uh, uh, advice that Paul gives on how to win friends and influence people. You got to know what's going on in their life and then you have to be involved. The second thing Paul tells us is that you need to make it your goal to live in harmony with other people. Make it your goal to live in harmony with other people. Uh, in Romans 12, 16, Paul says, live in harmony with one another. Now, what's it mean to make it your goal to live in harmony? It means you need to try to get along with other people. You don't, don't, don't just need to be pushing your way or arguing or always trying to make your point. Uh, and we often think of harmony as just being peace, okay? I just need to be at peace with everybody. But the word harmony is actually a musical term. And what harmony means is when you have several different pieces of a band or orchestra, and they're all playing different notes, and they're all playing them at the same time, but together it makes a beautiful sound. Now, of course, that's subjective. Uh, when our praise band plays on Sunday morning, there's a lot of people in this service that would not think that was harmony. And there are other people in the second service that would think that's great harmony. Uh, but the point of it is you have all of these different instruments playing different things, but coming out into one well-sounding tune. In interpersonal relationships, it's also a pleasing arrangements of parts. It's when people with different ideas and different backgrounds and different ways of seeing the world somehow come together and make a beautiful life together. Now, that's a very hard thing to do, to live in harmony with one another, because we are playing different notes. There's not a person in this room that agrees with everybody on everything. Anybody here ever have a spouse that you disagree with something with them on? Anybody here ever have a child that disagreed with you on everything when they were in middle school? Yeah, yeah, I mean, and if, you, if your children aren't in middle school yet, wait, they will, they will. I promise you that, you know, as you get to that. So then why do you still have a relationship with them? Well, my husband and I disagree, why do I still have a relationship with him? And you're thinking, well, I don't anymore, or something like that. Or, or my kid and I disagreed in middle school, why do I still have a relationship with them? Well, somewhere along the way, you decided the relationship was more important than a particular thing that you might disagree with. Because we're always going to have differences, and we're always going to have conflicting ideas because we're different people. I'll show you a perfect example of harmony. Uh, I talked last week about the Kansas City Buffalo Bill game. How many, did you all see that game? Great, great football game, man. It went down to the last play of, of overtime uh, to see who was going to win that ball game. And when Kansas City won that game, they were amazed at how well the Buffalo quarterback uh, had played, Josh Allen. And so somebody had an idea on social media and said, hey, Josh Allen, man, him and Buffalo, they played an unbelievable game. Why don't everybody donate $13 to Josh Allen's charity, which is the Children's Hospital in Buffalo, to show we appreciate how, how hard they played? Over $380,000 has now been taken in at $13 a pop from people in Kansas City alone for the Children's Hospital in Buffalo, New York. Couldn't disagree on more things, trying to beat the other one every single step of the way, and yet still coming together somehow in harmony. Here's the problem we have with Harmony Day. 
we have a real problem with harmony today, and here's the problem we have with it. We think that if someone doesn't agree with us on something, they are our enemy. That's what we think. We can no longer have a civil discourse. We can no longer talk to someone about our differences. We can no longer just say, hey, we agree to disagree on that. Now, if someone disagrees with you, they're your enemy. And it's in every area of your life. If someone supports a different presidential candidate than you or a different political party, they're bad people and they're your enemy. I read a, 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 a sad but funny uh, article uh, in, in USA Today about a lady who divorced her husband during the last presidential election when she found out he voted for the other candidate. And here's her quote. He's a great husband. He's a great dad. He's always treated me unbelievably well. But when I found out he voted for that other person, I knew there was evil lurking. Okay, so, you know, I say, you know, I don't know, I haven't seen it yet, but somehow that evil's lurking. They voted for the other presidential candidate. So we've got to see anyone that disagrees with us as the enemy, but everybody's going to disagree with you at one time or another, and pretty soon you're down to a circle of yourself. And it doesn't work that way. Having friends that disagree with you, having friends that have a different worldview or see things different than you is one of the things that will make your life stronger and more enriched and, and make you better at what you believe and what you think instead of just writing them off as the enemy. But when we think anyone that disagrees with us on politics or religion or, or anything else that's going on, sports teams, uh, you know, whatever, it, suddenly they're the enemy, then you're never going to really be able to live in harmony with one another because living in harmony means people are playing different notes and if you if you can't abide people playing different notes then the band of your life is never going to be together it's just going to be you playing a solo each and every time so we've got to be willing to listen and to to uh to get along with people who may have opinions that are different than we are and if you can't do that they're not the problem you are and if you can't do that, you have a 0% chance of leading anyone to Jesus Christ because they already disagree with you on a fundamental level on whether or not God even exists. And if you can't put up with that and, and, and be friends with them, you're never going to lead them to Jesus Christ. Live in harmony with one another. Now, so Paul starts out, and he says that we just need to be involved and active in other people's lives. The second thing he says is that we need to live in harmony with other people. And then the third thing he says is this. Don't think you're better than other people, but associate with everyone. Don't think you're better with other than other people, but associate with everyone. Romans 12, 16, the middle of the verse, he says, Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. So let's say you're a manager and you have to talk to somebody under you. Man, that's tough, isn't it? You know, that'd be a hard thing to do, associating with someone in a lower position than you have. But it all goes back, he says, to pride, to arrogance, and pride and arrogance in this situation can basically be boiled down to this. You just think you're better than they are. I just think I'm better than they are. I think I know more. Uh, I think I, I just uh, am of more worth than they are because of the, the position I have, because of, of the money that I have, because of where I live, the kind of car I drive. I think that I am simply better than you are. So we look down on other people. 
We think less of other people. They're not in my social status, you know, something like that, you know. Uh, they're not someone that, that uh, I look at and think uh, is somehow somebody that I would want to know because they just, uh, they don't have as much money as I do. And so we have this arrogance and this prejudice because we think somehow we're just better than other people. When uh, uh, Andrew and I went to Israel, Dawn bought me a People magazine to read on the way. Uh, and I said, man, if I'm going to read something like that, just give me a National Enquirer. You know, let, let me go full bore, you know, something like that. But uh, she gave me a People magazine, and they had these little snippets of things that had happened. I'm not going to tell you the actor's name uh, because I don't want you to think less of other people. Uh, <laughs> But you can get that People magazine and read it yourself. Uh, so there is an actor who is a comedian, and in my view, at best, a B-level comedian. He's not exactly one of the elite comedians. But he's on an airplane. He's in first class with a friend. He's just sat down, and, the, and the, the flight attendant comes up and says, Sir, would you like something to drink before we take off? And he glares at her, whispers something to the guy sitting next to him, and the man sitting next to him says, he wants you to know you're never to look at him or speak to him. But if he wants anything, he'll tell me and I will tell you. And he would like a Diet Coke. Now, if I'd been the flight attendant, I'd have said, yes, sir. Diet Coke with a little spit coming right your way. You know, don't, don't you worry about it at all. You know, that, that's coming for you right there. So that's somehow thinking that you're more important than other people. Now, you may think, well, that's a little bit extreme. But do you know that servers in restaurants, guess what they say the worst time of the week to work, a server in a restaurant? Sunday lunch. That is the worst time of the week to, to work. The people that come to Sunday lunch, they said, are the rudest, the most demanding, and the worst tippers. So we stay in here and we praise God, and then we go to restaurants and we do everything we can to beat up and demean our server. And it happens week after week after week. Servers say Sunday lunch is the absolute worst time to be in a restaurant. And that's because we're there. So that might make us think a little bit, am I being arrogant? Am I looking down on people of what I consider low position? Because here's the thing. You may think someone has a lower position than you, but there's not a person in this world that's a low person. There's not a person in this world that isn't a person of value that we should treat with love and respect and care. There's not a person in this world that wasn't created by God, created in his image that God loves and that Jesus died for. There's not one person, I don't care what position they have or if they have no position or if they're homeless on the side of the street, they are a person created in God's image that he loves, that Jesus died for, that we need to treat with love and respect. And when we begin to look at everyone that way, then we understand that no one on this planet, regardless of race, gender, economic level, job, or homelessness, is someone that is discardable or someone that is a low person. And so Paul's advice here is don't think you're better than other people, but associate with everyone. That same People magazine had an article about George Clooney in the last movie that Clooney was filming. And one of Clooney's co-stars, Clooney was the big star, but there's a co-star under him. Uh, the first day at lunch, the co-star came in, and they had all of the uh, a buffet set up for all the workers, and everybody's getting their buffet, and, and Clooney's in line, and the guy walks up to the producer, and he says, I have two problems. My first problem is my trailer's not big enough. The second problem is, there's no way I'm going to eat with those people. 
And so George Clooney says, please somebody take him his lunch to his trailer and he can have my trailer. I, I, don't, need, I don't need a trailer that big. The next day, because Clooney felt bad about what had happened, he went to his favorite restaurant and had this huge catered meal for everybody on staff from this fancy restaurant. And when his co-star came in, he said, man, this looks great, and he went up and got a plate. Clooney took the plate out of his hand and said, go to your big trailer. You've got a catered meal waiting there. This is for those little people that you don't want to be around. All right, now that's kind of showing you right there. Okay, there's no one of low position. Don't think you're better than other people. Associate with everyone. And that brings us to the last thing that we see in our scripture passage. The last thing that we see. Don't be a know-it-all. Don't be a know-it-all. Paul says at the end of Romans chapter 12, verse 16, do not be conceited. Do not be conceited. Okay, now that's a little bit different than pride. Webster says conceited means having or showing too much pride in one's worth and in one's accomplishments. Too much pride in one's worth and what's another and your accomplishments. It's being a know-it-all. Anybody here ever met someone that's a know-it-all? Anyone sitting next to someone that, no, 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 don't do that one. Don't do that one. Okay, all right, let's not do it. You know, might not be good on the way home or, or, or something like that. We've all been around know-it-alls. People that have to show you they're smarter and know more than you on every single subject of the world, no matter what it is. It's become especially prevalent during COVID. We have more scientists out there now than I've ever seen in the history of the world. I mean, it's just incredible uh, that's out there, you know. Uh, we know more than people with advanced medical degrees because we read something in the Courier Journal, you know, or we got something online or we heard it on a podcast. So now we know better than everybody uh, that is out there. We become know-it-alls. Uh, and know-it-alls are, are people that most people just don't want to be around anyway. Nothing's worse than a know-it-all. One thing a know-it-all does is you'll be saying something and they've got to interrupt you to correct everything that you're saying. And that gets really irritating, doesn't it? When you're just trying to tell somebody something and then somebody else has to interrupt you and correct you the entire way around. Another thing a know-it-all does, and this really irritates me more than anything else, you're just telling a story and they weren't even there. But they've got to interrupt to tell your story correctly. And you're, you know... Uh, and you're thinking, hey, man, you know, just be quiet. You know, this is my story. It's not your story. Or, or worse, if they were there, they said, you're not remembering that right. And I said, you know, you can tell your story afterwards. And, you know, I, sometimes I still tell people, look, my stories are much more entertaining than what actually happened anyway. You know, so you need to be listening to my part of the story. Not, you know, if you want to know what happened, that's just boring. You know, I'm trying to give you the, the good stuff here. So a know-it-all is going to be the kind of person that's going to irritate everybody even if you're right sometimes it's not it's best not to share everything you know about everything even if you're right sometimes it's best in casual conversation just to not say uh, let me point out everywhere everything they've said that was incorrect here if you don't mind for just a second that's probably not going to endear you to other people go back to the old Dale Carnegie thing you've got to show interest in other people and not just interest in yourself a know-it-all why does a know-it-all have to do that why does a know-it-all have to share everything they know and interrupt everyone? Because they are insecure. That's what it comes down to. They're insecure. So they got to make you think that they're smart and they know it all and that they're important and it all comes from their insecurity. 
So why don't you just make their insecurity even stronger by telling them what they're telling you is wrong? Uh, you know, and you get in there. So, you know, uh, to, to not be conceited or think you have to know everything about everyone. So four things we've seen today. To win friends and influence people. Rejoice and mourn with those who rejoice and mourn. Live in harmony with everybody. Don't be too proud, but associate with everyone. And don't be a know-it-all. You know, sometimes we live in this fake world that overcomes us, and it's hard for us to begin to look at the world through the eyes of other people. Anybody here ever see the movie 16 Candles with Molly Ringwald? Well, the actor that Molly Ringwald was in love with in that movie is a man by the name of Michael Sheffley. Got a picture of them here in 16 Candles uh, right there. And so uh, uh, he became fairly famous from this one role. He then appeared in the movie Mermaid and in Quest Vision and some other movies. And then right at the height of what was the beginning of his fame, he dropped out, left Hollywood, and has literally never been heard of again. And the reason I'm even telling you this is that there's been some articles about him because he just turned 60 years of age. So if you saw that when you were a kid, just factor that in, okay? He's now, he's now 60 years old uh, as he was going through there. So this is the only picture taken since he left Hollywood in the last 40 years. And there it is right there, that one on the, with the kid, child there. That's the only picture that anyone could find of him since he left Hollywood. However, a reporter looking for him did find him in a store. He now lives in, in uh, Pennsylvania. And uh, he actually uh, is a carpenter and owns a furniture store. And the reporter, he was, he was nice enough to the reporter, said he really didn't want a picture or anything. And the reporter said, why did you leave Hollywood? This is what Michael Sheffley said. Everything about it was fake, and I began to hate myself. It was all about me, how I looked, what I was doing, whether or not I had a role. And then I had got married and had two children, and I realized life isn't this fake world. I just want to go live somewhere where nobody knows who I was in the movies, where I can have friends and family and be a good person. And that's what I've done. I don't regret it. I would never go back for anything. That kind of sums it up. It can be all about you, or it can be about family and friends and living the best life that you can. Let's have a prayer. Father, thank you for your word that really shows us how to live with other people. Help us to learn and to grow from it. In Jesus' name. We hope you enjoyed today's lesson and that it spoke to you. If you have prayer needs or want more information about us, we invite you to stop by our website, mywrbc.org, and click on Contact. Please use the word podcast in the subject line. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, keyword mywrbc. At Westport Road Baptist Church, we love God and love people. Please join us for Sunday morning service at either 9.30 a.m. or 11 a.m. We also have Sunday school for all ages during both service times. Thanks again for listening, and join us next week for another message from God's Word.